All right, guys, welcome back to Finding Nicholas. It is yours truly, uh, Nick Landers. And uh, today, um, it's just me. <laughs> no special guests today, um, but we will have uh, some pretty cool people uh, coming up in the next couple weeks. So I look forward to uh, bringing them to your ears and to your minds. Um, it is Black History Month. Uh, so, um, again, <laughs> it's been an interesting year. Um, 2021, the Capitol, so on and so forth. The Donald Trump's impeachment last year. Uh, just a lot of, you know, the, the riots and uh, the demonstrations. Um, some of the, the just so many tragedies. Uh, and I really don't want to go into those. I just want to celebrate uh, some of the Black pioneers and heroes uh, throughout history. And um, I'm just so thankful uh, to, to know a bit about my history and my lineage. And, you know, thank you to all. I mean, there's so many to name. I mean, you could say Jackie Robinson and Hattie McDaniel and W.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, Malcolm X, uh, even just more modern day people, uh, you know, the Charles Drews, you know, and uh, the Maya Angelou's and Oprah Winfrey's and the Obamas. And, you know, it, it, you could just go on for days. Black excellence is everywhere. And so um, let's keep that in mind and let's love our brothers and sisters. Let's love everybody. There's a lot of hate last year. And uh, I just, again, I think it's important to know where you come from. And so that being said, uh, today, Today's episode, <laughs> let's lighten it up. Uh, today's episode is about uh, my travels around the world. I've been to like 28 to 30 countries, if, I really, if I'm counting it right. Um, the number isn't as important as the experiences. I can say for sure uh, that travel has changed my life, uh, particularly international travel, traveling abroad. I mean, Certainly, it's great to travel domestically. There are tons of places to go domestically. Anywhere in the world, I think there's going to be beauty and enriching, you know, experiences right at home, you know, possibly right in your backyard, oftentimes right in your backyard uh, if you're looking. Uh, but um, I do think that traveling outside of your country presents uh, different views, perspectives, outcomes, challenges that are just, you know, inherent in um, leaving your world to immerse yourself in another. And so, uh, you know, as a kid, you know, I'd traveled before with my parents, uh, but that's quite a different, uh, <laughs> that, that's a different thing, you know, when you're traveling with your parents. You have that protection of, you know, people who are looking after you and your well-being and making sure you're eating and have a place to stay. Um, you're not worried about the costs. And so you just get to go. And uh, at the same time, you're also under, uh, you might have input, you know, a little influence into what you get to see and do when you're there. But by and large, it's in the hands of whoever is uh, <laughs> taking care of costs and accommodations and so forth. Um, so let's get into how I first experienced, uh, the international life as an adult. 
you know, I graduated back in 2009 and, and the economy was still a little rough and people were still out of work a little bit and there's a recovery happening. And we all know that the, the credit crunch and people lost their homes, they were foreclosed on and people lost their houses and government bailouts, you know, back in like 2007 and in that range. And so I think jobs are still scarce. Uh, it wasn't easy pickings. Uh, you know, I had a, a business degree, but it was just a piece of paper compared to everyone else, the people who were already in the workforce. You know, I went to a job fair um, with my sister and there were people there, you know, twice our age easily with portfolios and briefcases and experience. And for the most part, you know, we had a couple internships and a piece of paper that said, we know a little bit about the business world, which is funny when you look back, it's kind of like, yeah, what does that really mean? And that's not much. And um, certainly there's OJT, right? You know, learning on the job, on the job training. And so, as that was going, I worked a lot of little odd jobs. And one of those happened to be an after-school program in an elementary school, uh, Monroe Elementary School. And I was having a great time with that. Um, it was fun to work with the kids. It, you know, it puts you in a, in a leadership role because you're looking after young people. You're in this capacity where you have the ability to mold their minds and you have to learn to be kind of impartial, to not necessarily pass on your bias, but just the truth. And to keep that always in the, in the forefront of your mind. And so as I was, and I'm a, I'm a big reader. I read about a book a week. So I was passing on these principles, but also having a lot of fun with these kids. And I didn't have to see them during the day. So I wasn't a full-time teacher or anything like that. Just after school, see these guys, you know, for like two, two and a half hours and go home. But ended up, I was a pretty big hit with the, with the children. And someone noticed and said, you know, hey, Nick, you're doing a great job with the kids. They really love you. Have you considered being a teacher? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Um, because, you know, one, teachers don't earn a lot of money. I said that to my AP calculus teacher back in 12th grade. She said I'd be a great teacher. And I also told her, I told her no when she asked if I wanted to be a teacher because I said, you know, money, you know, there's not a lot of money there. Hence, you know, teachers are still going on strikes and things of that nature. So not much has changed uh, in that area, I think. But yeah, those are my reasons. And then I didn't want to deal with the pressures of parents and grading. I just wanted to have fun. And so, no, didn't want to be a teacher. But as time went on, you know, I was working these odd jobs and so forth and had about two or three jobs at the time. And I was working at a coffee shop too, being a barista. And I guess somewhere... Oh, no, that wasn't even at that time, being a barista. I was, I was working some other jobs. <laughs> Let's go back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, someone said I could teach overseas. I think it was like a third grade teacher. I can still see her face. Don't remember her name. I'm sorry. But she says, you know, you could teach overseas. And I was like, oh, oh really? Well, that sounds interesting. I, I'd love to travel. I said, well, what can I teach? She said, well, a lot of people go there to teach English. I was like, oh, well, I don't have an English degree or anything like that. She said, no, 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 like ESL, English as a second language, you know, just your language, English, the language you're speaking. I was like, oh, oh, okay. But I still had no idea how to teach that. <laughs> so I said, well, well, where? Where can you go? Who's doing this? She says, well, there's people in Korea and Japan and the Middle East and all over. And so that was enough for me to go on. You know, I wasn't supremely interested at that point, but I was, I was like, okay, let's do it. Maybe. Put a little research in and saw that it was a thing and that all I needed was a college degree, not a degree in anything like language arts, not a certification. I could just go. I found a couple programs and I applied and I ended up getting an interview with one, canceled on them for reasons of the, this is, this is like 2011. The tsunami happened, I think in March, 2011. And it was so devastating. And there's a nuclear reactor in Fukushima up in like Northeastern Japan and they needed people. And so this was prime opportunity for hiring. And so, but I said, no, you know, because a lot of people were like, hey, Nick, hey, man, you know, don't play with that that nuclear stuff. You know, you, you don't want to like go and develop, you know, cancer and all this other stuff because, you know, the radiation. And I was like, oh, yeah, mm, uh, then maybe you're right. Uh, but <laughs> it ended up being like two months later, I applied for a different place and did a, interview in my parents' basement after going to Walmart and picking up some poster board and, and doing a mock lesson, right? I felt completely like an idiot because I was like, and now you go left here. And what is on your left? The bank. Very good, kids. Ha ha ha. And, and um, yeah, God, cringy. But that's what I did. I got it. And in like July 2nd or something like that, I left. And, um, you know, prior to me going, you know, there were a lot of people who had questions. One, you know, chiefly, do you speak Japanese? No. Do you know anybody there? No. So why are you going? <laughs> I was like, well, I need something different. I'm working a few jobs right now. I'd like to work just one. And this fits that bill. And I get to see the world um, as an adult on my own solo, which I'd never done. And I wasn't really nervous at the time. So let's get into it. I, I, I you know, my parents took me to the airport. My sister was there and they're all kind of like misty eyed, you know, and uh, my dad has this kind of proud look like, Oh, he's going off to Japan by himself. And, um, I get on the plane and it's like a 14 hour trip. I sold my car to, to get there. I only, I had like a handful of dollars um, I think I may have had $400 or something in traveler's checks, which I ended up not even being able to use and convert 
Uh, so that was dead money. And I think I had, no, I think it may have been the other way around. I think I had $700 in traveler's checks that I couldn't use and $400 cash. And so I got there to do training. And let's talk about landing. Long trip, I land, and it's only when I, I'm coming down in, into Narita Airport that I start to feel it, like, ooh, oh, we're, this is legit. We're here now. I'm looking out the window like, oh, my God. And I get off the plane, and I don't really know where to go, so I do what is very human for us to do uh, is to follow people, you know, kind of tuck in behind and see where everyone else is going and kind of follow along. And at certain points, you just learn to ask questions. And I learned that very quickly. I was like, oh, I don't know where baggage claim is. And is this lady going to speak English? What should I, what should I do? And should I find simpler words to say? But I asked, and it was fine, and they directed me. And I, was, and I, I developed some confidence from that. And then I got my luggage, had like a, a, a piece of map and an address to where I needed to go, got outside, got on a bus. They took my luggage, put it on. That was nice of them. And now I'm just riding, like shooting a video on the back of the bus uh, with my laptop. And like my heart is beating so fast. Like boom, 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 boom. And it's like thudding. And um, it starts to get dark. It's in the evening now. And we get to finally inside Tokyo, inside like the the center kind of area. And, and Tokyo is huge, by the way, but closer to where I was trying to get to in, um, God, where was that? Itabashi, in that area. And that's where the hotel was located. But I wasn't quite close enough. So, but the last stop was somewhere else. And so I had to get off. And I went inside this hotel and asked for help. And it was this young kid, like a teenager, who spoke like a little bit of English, like randomly, who called me a taxi, put my stuff in it. Um, and then we were off and I, the driver and, and the, the, guy, the bellhop tried to figure out where this piece of map was, this, this address. And they, they stood there for like five minutes trying to figure it out, speaking in Japanese. And I had no clue what they were talking about at the time before I developed some Japanese ability. And then they like, oh, okay, time to get in the car. Get there. Uh, we we kind of look for this place for a little while, but ultimately we find it. And I'm, I'm there. I'm here. I'm in Japan. And, and this bed is hard. Uh, <laughs> the rooms are tiny. Uh, like, zero amenities hardly in, in this particular hotel uh just a, just a coffee pot and that was it pretty much that was it and um i went off to to do training and over that time over those few days i went to like baskin robbins in japan i went to burger king burger king didn't even taste like regular burger king like it tasted cleaner uh healthier it could have been my mind, but I also learned later on that, you know, Japan doesn't allow certain foods and with certain levels of salt or sugar and so forth. So I think overall, it might have been actually just a, a smidge healthier. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I was doing that and figuring it out and meet, making friends and 
trying to pick up a little bit of Japanese here and there, konnichiwa, and, and you know, konbanwa, and sayonara, you know, just, just these basic words. But I felt so accomplished. I was like, ooh, <laughs> you're using it. You're using that Japanese, you know, as I would, I, was, I would say. That's probably not right to say, but that's, <laughs> that's what I was saying. I was like 20, you know, three, four. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I was in uh, Tokyo for a little while and then had some visa complications there while trying to get my job uh, settled in the location. Ended up being in Tokyo for about a month or so, a little bit more, before taking a position in Ogawara, northeastern Japan, in uh Miyagi-ken Prefecture near Sendai is maybe the largest city there uh, nearby. Um, probably eight, eight stops, six to eight stops from there. Uh, about two to three million people. But my town was so was tiny, 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 tiny. And I was like the only black person there. So I was always getting stared at. And that, and that was something that I learned what, that was very eye-opening. Because I didn't, I, it was, it didn't feel like racism, it, or xenophobia. It just felt like, hey, I, I don't see many black people, and here's my opportunity. So I got asked, like, I, <laughs> you know, kids would like wave to me, and, and you know, kids would be playing outside, soccer, baseball, and I'd walk by, you know, this fence or like, you know, you know, the the baseball field. And kids like run up to the fence and, and try to talk to me and they would throw out every English word that they knew. Kobe Bryant, Little Wayne, New York City. <laughs> and, uh, and that always drew a smile. Um, I grew very fond of this place, of Ogawara. I still am. I, I consider it my second home. I grew so much. And so let's talk about some of the ways that travel has changed my life. Um, the first things I had to learn to do was balance uh, what I thought the world is or is for me. And what I mean by that is I, I had to start making comparisons um, between the life I'd lived and known in America versus Japan. And what immediately when you do that, you start to see these lines in the sand and these labels and these different hats that you wear. So you're like, okay, you know, I'm not very tall in America, but I'm kind of tall here. In America, I'm black. I'm a black male. And that means I operate like this. And when I go into the mall, you know, I keep my hands out of my pockets. And, uh, you know, I just, I behave a certain way. I don't wear a backpack into the store. And that was okay. Let me let me tell you this one. So the one of the first things I saw uh, was I went to a mall very early on when I was in Japan after I'd moved to Sendai, and I had a backpack on, and I had a backpack, and I was going through the mall, and I went inside the store, and uh, I see the employees, uh, the cashier up there, and everybody else, and the first thing, like instinctively, I took my backpack off and carried it to like the desk and said, hey, could you hold this for me? And they looked confused. Uh, one, I think there was a language barrier, obviously, but someone in the group uh, 
of like three of us or so, knew enough Japanese to explain what I was doing. And I just said, hey, you know, could you hold this here uh, essentially? And I told him, I said, I, I just don't want them to think I'm stealing. And this person, uh, I think his name was John, you know, he, Japanese was very good. He explains the situation to them and then they look so confused and then like embarrassed for me um, because they thought what they said back to John and then John back to me was, why would we think you're stealing? And like my mind was blown. To this day, I still remember that, that feeling of, wow. And I, I didn't know how much blackness or like my color weighed on me. The things I was doing subconsciously, you know, just not even thinking about it um, in relationship to my skin tone and how that sometimes has a, a negative uh, connotation here in, in the States. And so there were so many moments where my skin, instead of being this black stain on my existence, it was pretty darn cool. You know, people stopped me on the train to talk, chit chat, wanna to touch my hair, wanna take me home, uh, want to introduce me to their friends, invite me out to dinner, get free stuff. I mean, I got so much free stuff. It was crazy, like literally crazy. Uh, I, I would just be jogging down the streets and someone would like invite me into their their seafood shop and, I, and I'd have to walk back home because they'd given me so much stuff, you know, to take home. Um, and these are very proud people, very proud of where they come from and, and their contributions to society and wanting to share that with others. And that's another lesson I learned is that um, I think we should all be proud of where we come from. We should all want to share uh, where we've come from, the good and the bad, but primarily, <clears throat> you know, the, the good stuff, the things that can enrich others' lives and, and promote peace and happiness and joy. But to do that, I think you have to really be aware of what's good around you. Uh, just, and I think the Japanese are very good at that, of just being cognizant of the simpler things in life and being happy with where you are. Um, I know I have many Japanese friends to this day that I still talk to, and they may not feel the exact same way. One, because they grew up there and that's different, right? But I'm comparing it from as an American having lived here and then travel over there, um, that, that's been my experience. That's my view on that. So don't take that as gospel. Just realize that that's my view. And so what are some good travel stories? What are some other good things? Um, I think when you travel uh, quite frequently, you run into other expats, you know, expatriates, people who are for one reason or another, are also traveling in the world. And they could be working working there, they could be visiting, um, for what, whatever it is. And you get to make friends with people from all over. You know, I made some friends from England very, very early on. And um, I loved the accent. And then and, and I would kind of do my thing and be stupid sometimes and join, hey, pip, pip, cheerio. And come on here, you know. <laughs> And they would look at me like, Nick, stop. That's awful, you know? 
um, what kind of accent are you doing? You know, and but I used to, I saw so many differences in just how people pronounce things or the names of things. Like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. Someone else is me to the loo, you know, or I'm like, hey, uh, got to take the elevator. You mean the lift? Or wrap this in aluminum. You mean aluminium? And so that happened, you know, so much. And each time, you know, it was just eye-opening. And it was fun. And it just expanded my vocabulary, expanded my worldview, and realized that, hey, buddy, you don't have every answer. And your way of looking at things isn't the only one. And um, if you want to learn how to not only fit in, not necessarily fit into a new society, into a different culture, but it's maybe better to be flexible and open than it is to be closed off to new ideas and new ways of doing things. So yeah, there's that. Uh, but I made tons of friends. Uh, dated some pretty awesome uh, Japanese women. Learned a lot there. Um, just in terms of like, what are those expectations in, in, a, in a relationship um, versus here in the States and how we view things. And all, all these things just added up to me growing uh, as a human being, learning how to treat others and greater still, learning how to treat others unlike myself, unlike what I've been accustomed to and learning how to share myself with others. Um, sometimes I think we can get so ingrained in how we communicate, like back at home, how we talk to each other. And sometimes we have to code switch and other th things like that. But when someone doesn't have that reference point, you know, they're not where you're from. And English may not be their first language. Then you really have to stop a lot of times and slow your speech down and be really precise in what you're trying to say. And I think what that does is it elicits a truth. It promotes truth. Um, yeah, I, ho I hope you can kind of connect the dots there to what I'm trying to say. But yeah, so I lived there, uh, you know, after the first year I recontracted, I say, I want to do another year. And so I was working with these kids and I love these kids to death. Oh, yeah, Shibata Nordin, um, and, uh, oh, you know, uh, what is that school? Um, Murata High School as well. And um, Kawasaki High School over there too. And I love those kids to death. I mean, they got taught me so much. Um, <laughs> they just broke down so many barriers in, in my mind and stereotypes. And uh, like, I remember when there was a, I remember when, uh, what, what am I trying to say? There was, there was a barbecue at the school for uh, the beginning of the year, like a festival. And I was a new teacher. And so a kid comes to take me outside to the festival and he comes in and uh, he says, oh, Nick, come, 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 come. And uh, he takes him by the hand and we're holding hands to go out, to go outside. And I felt a little weird. I was like, honestly, I was like, why aren't we holding hands? And then I'm a grown man and this is a young boy and you know, a teenage boy, and we're holding hands out here. 
And I go outside and, and boys are sitting on each other's laps, laughing, you know, slapping each other on the butt and all this other stuff. And, um, you, you know, in some cultures, you know, people are going to look at that a certain type of way. And I had to, and I had to, to do some self-assessment there. And I didn't really catch myself as being homophobic or anything like that. I thought it was odd, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I had described these behaviors to being of a, of a certain nature, saying that, oh, maybe this is, you know, associate those kind of activities with uh, a certain sexual orientation. And then I had to really step back and go, how much of this is just being friendly? You know, how much of this is just, it's human beings connecting and there's nothing overtly sexual about sitting in somebody's lap, nothing overtly sexual about holding somebody's hand. And so those are all those meanings and labels I'd pasted over things. And uh, it allowed me to zoom out you know, it allowed me to, to look at my thinking and zoom out for real. And once I was able to do that, I just had this macro view of everything now. You know, everything I was looking at was, wasn't was so, like, fine-tuned and trying to extract the details of everything. It just was, hmm, big picture. You know, what does this mean grand scale? And that allowed me to grow and expand grand scale. Big time. You know, I, I I started to judge people like way less. I didn't realize how judgmental I was. You know, um, but yeah, just super judgmental. Or just just had my own way of, of looking at things where I thought, mm, you know, what does this mean and what does that mean? And why does it do this and why does it do that? And I think we all kind of do that, but um it definitely helped me do that less. Uh, so, um, something else. Um, so in my second year of being in Japan, I saved up enough money to travel with a friend of mine. And uh, Siri was a super cool guy. Um, coworker, worked at a different school, but we hung out a lot. There's a, a few of us. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's so, um, yeah, God, memories, right? And so we took a trip to Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, and it was awesome, you know, because this was now the second time I was getting to go out, not necessarily on my own, but to see more of the world. You know, I was like, okay, I've seen some some Japan. I've learned some Japanese. I can function day to day and buy groceries. I can get on the train. I can communicate and do what I need to do here. And that was a big source of pride for me. That was a big, huge, you know, rock of pride because I learned a new language enough to have conversations <laughs> and, and, and explain myself uh, to the best of my ability. You know, was I fluent? No, but hey, you know, I could communicate and, and talk to people on the phone and, and so forth. So I go to uh, all those places, as I just mentioned, and we land in Thailand. Oh, my God. The weather's amazing. 
you know, it's so laid back, so chill. I think what is Thailand called? Like the land of smiles. Uh, I was certainly smiling, serial smiling. And we, I had booked a place for us on Khaosan uh, Road. And this is kind of like the backpackers area. I really didn't know where else to, to book it, honestly. But it was like, I think it was like $12 a night, somewhere in that range, 12, 12 to 20. Couldn't have been more than that, I don't think. Um, maybe even 30. It wasn't more than 30. Absolutely not. But, <laughs> um, and we, I think, booked it for five days or so. So we get there and, uh, you know, we take a, a taxi and then this leads to us, you know, walking down Kalsan Road. We find the place and it's awesome. It's baller. It's it's not baller baller, but it was cool. A lot of bamboo, wooden stuff. Uh, there was a, a rooftop bar and pool. Went up there, crazy. That was awesome. Just having drinks, living life, overlooking the uh, the city. And um, then we just had food and we we partied and we we saw the sights and we took it in and. Um, Every day was a learning opportunity. Every day felt new. And I think there's a special part of life where if you can get to a space where there's this sort of newness in your every day, or at least a couple times a week, I think it activates something very long-standing, ancient in you. Um, I know they say, you know, as human beings, we're nomadic, you know, we travel uh, you know, historically, we've moved here and there and so forth, on and on and on, in search of food and shelter and, and, and things like that. But And maybe that's part of it. But seeing something new, having to try new things, having to constantly break down stereotypes, having to break down routines and habits and prejudgments is fun. It was very fun for me. Uh, to hear someone speaking and not know what they were saying. And then after a few days or a couple of weeks of practice, being able to pick up a word or two to maybe a few months down the line, being able to have a, a small conversation to a, a year and having a, almost a normal, regular conversation. Um, it's, it was cool to have to learn exchange rates and have different types of money and currency in my hand. You know, at one point I had this bag, I still probably have it, you know, different things, but I I, I had, you know, uh, Thai bot in, in one hand and Japanese yen in another hand and uh, God, uh, on and on and on throughout, throughout my history of traveling. Um, but learning the, the cost of living, you know, seeing a hotel $30 or $12 when I was in Cambodia, I saw a hotel for $2 a night, $2 a night. And it just sent my mind into like this world of possibilities. I was like, yo, if I earn money in America and say I work online and I can just work remotely, I could stay somewhere like this and probably pay rent, you know, monthly somewhere for like 75 bucks. And sure enough, you know, I travel, I've, I've been to all these places now where I've seen that, I've seen that. And it just opened up this other realm of what life could be. And I just had, I didn't have that before. I didn't, I didn't have that 
traveling, you know, or just staying in the United States. It, you look at in one way, you know, if you're uninsured medically, you know, medication in the States might cost you 200 something dollars for whatever you need. If you're insured, maybe it's, you know, 75, 100, $130. Um, but to go to another country where it's $14, it's $7, or it's built into your wages, right? The government already takes it out. So you just go in and get it for free. Um, that's so interesting, so dynamic. You know, I met this Australian couple who, they, I think they were getting some kind of surgery or dental work. I, th I think it was dental work for sure um, for the man's wife. And for whatever, whatever that procedure was, I remember them telling me that it was cheaper for them to fly to Thailand from Australia and to spend a few days and get it done. And it would be cheaper than having had it done in Australia. It's unbelievable to me that the, the disparities in cost and how governments are set up and what it means for people with and without money and what, and what, what money means. You know, like, wow, I mean, money is just powerful. Um, and yet some of the, the greatest experiences and uh, the most heartfelt moments had nothing to do with the money. You know, the laughter and the joy and the, the mystery involved. You know, at one point, Siri and I separated. He decided we went to Laos together and um, he's, he's Laotian. And so he decided to, and his, some of his family was there actually. And I met some of them and we had some, some, <laughs> we, we had some crazy times uh, with them and some, some also some amazing food, some amazing, amazing food. And uh, I ended up drinking duck blood with uh, some peanuts and it was, I mean, I mean, let me tell you the story right quick so I, I can move on. Um, I went to, it was like close to New Year's and it's like Siri's family. I, I'm not sure at this point, you know, how they were related. Um, but, um, you know, we're sitting at this thing and they're tying these, um, these like string bracelets around our wrists and, and it's meant for like health and so on, and then they pray over it. Um, and like they prayed over like the eldest member of the family, which was this lady. Um, and, but all the food was just out there and, you know, we're eating with our hands and, and, and the food, oh my God, amazing. Just poof, ridiculous, like crazy, amazing, flavorful, <laughs> very robust flavors, just so many unique things I'd, I'd never tried before and sticky rice and dipping it in, in this sauce and that sauce and then the meats, uh, cow lam, which was um, this kind of like a rice dessert type dish with like black beans or something like that in there, like red beans. Uh, but it's kind of sweet and kind of used as a dessert. Uh, I had that with like some grilled chicken. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. And of course, beer lao, the, the country's national beer. Uh, that was, I think it was like a dollar. I don't even think it was a dollar beer. I want to say it might've been like some cents per beer. 
And we drank maybe 20 of them a day. Yeah. Don't judge me. Don't judge us. <laughs> but um, we were sitting there at this table and they bring like this big bowl. And there's this huge bowl and it's like red and it's kind of like sticky looking, like thick, syrupy. And there's this ladle in it. And I'm like, okay, okay, don't know what this is. Uh, but I'm talking to this other guy over here, kind of sort of here and there. And Japanese isn't his first language. And Japanese isn't my first language. But he's no good at English. And so this is our way of communicating. So between, it was only me talking to Siri or talking to this guy um, the whole night, you know, in terms of who I was communicating with, like verbally. Everybody else was like just, you know, gestures and smiles and hands and all that stuff. So uh, he tells me in Japanese, and he says, you know, this is like ahiru no chi. And I was like, what? And in my mind, I'm like, duck, chi, blood. And I look in the bowl. And it's red. And I'm like, duck blood. I turn to Siri and I go, Siri, did he just say duck blood? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, that's what that is. So they uh <laughs> so they they take this ladle and there's like this tiny bowl on the side. Uh it's not a tiny bowl, but it's tiny in comparison to this huge bowl. And um there's like peanuts in it and everybody's eating it like with their hands. But what they're doing is they take a sip of the blood, they take the ladle in there, then they slurp down this blood and eat the peanuts to go with it. So the person next to me, um, I think, I think maybe it wasn't Siri first or something. Um, it may have been Siri, but scoops it. No, 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 no. It was this other random person. They scooped it, slurped it like crazy. <laughs> oh, it was gross. Like their mouth all over the ladle. And then um, <laughs> they eat some peanuts. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, he's enjoying that. Puts it back in the bowl. And the person to his right um, picks it up, picks up the ladle. And they scoop it, slurped all over it, tongue all in it, nasty. And then they have some peanuts. And I was like, oh, I guess he likes it too. Puts it back. The person to their right picks it up. And now I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm starting to form a pattern in my mind. I start, I start to get like really like this chill. I'm like, oh God, oh my God, is this? So I realized this guy had started to the right of me and now it was about to go around everybody at this table. And so it's going on and on and on and on. And I'm watching this ladle being bit, dipped back into these mouths, into these, this bowl, all the way around, like through like 25 people. And Siri's on my left and he does it and it gets to me. And I'm going, holy shit. And so what I, <laughs> what I tried to do, honestly, what I tried to do was I, um, I scooped it 
and I tried to like waterfall it. Like you would do a drink, like a soda, and just kind of pour it into your mouth without touching it. I scooped it and I held it over my mouth. I kind of poured, trying to like catch it in my mouth. And I missed my mouth. Like it hit like the front of my lip, but went down my shirt. And I was so, I was, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. Everybody looked at me like, yo, that's offensive. What are you doing? And I was so embarrassed. Like my cheeks were so hot. And um, so I, I, I was like, oh crap. And so I, I quickly scooped another one and I did as they did. I went, oh, I was all into it. And um, I had the peanuts and I had to swallow it slowly because I felt like I might, I might puke. Um, but it's more mental than anything else. But it also the taste was not great for me. To me, it wasn't. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, but there's so much I could say about traveling. Uh, we went everywhere after that. Um, I, I, by myself, I was. I went to after last. I went to Cambodia. I went to Siem Reap. Uh, I went to Angkor Wat, and saw those temples. For New Year's, I was on Pub Street going crazy. If you haven't, Google Pub Street. Craziness. The party was unbelievable. I stayed in a place called like Bliss Villa. That was an interesting story. I'm going to have to tell you about that sometime. Um, but it was so, uh, you know, I was there for in Cambodia, like, I want to say, you know, like three or four days met some cool people, uh, met Natalia, really good friend of mine. Um, she's killing it down there in Australia. Um, model, everything, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Gosh, she's killing it, right? And so brilliant. Uh, so I'm so happy that I met her down there as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's funny because, let me tell you how, how like the universe is interesting, right? Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's so, it's so, I think everything is interconnected. And I think here, let me end on this note, or maybe I won't, who knows? It's just me. Uh, so I remember being in Thailand, like in Bangkok, like, uh, maybe like a week and a half before, you know, at this point, it may have been closer to like almost two weeks, maybe. Uh, I was there for a long time, like 22, 23 days. Uh, traveling to all these different places, Vietnam, you know, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand. And in Bangkok, I remember being outside and this lady had leaned her chair back and kind of bumped into me and discovered she was an Australian woman working in China. And we talked about what I was doing in Japan and she, and somehow it got on love. The conversation got uh, on love and she says, well, you never know, you know, you might meet somebody out here. And so I told her that I was going to Cambodia next. And I, you know, she's like, you should ride a bike and just see some stuff. I said, I might ride a bike. You never know. I, you know, something like, like that. And she says, you might meet a young woman named Natalie and fall in love. And I was like, I said, you never know. Now I didn't think anything of that at all. Didn't think of, of the name at all. And so I go to uh, 
Cambodia. And on like the second day there, I go to Siem Reap. I go, I go to uh, Angkor Wat, these temples, and there's like the temple of Bayonne and with the faces etched in, you know, in the rock. And I take, I have my big camera, my Nikon, and I take a photo of a woman sitting in a window, which happens to be Natalia now. And um, she hears like the click and then looks and sees me like, you know, being a creeper. <laughs> and uh, so we get to have this conversation and, you know, she's over there traveling with some folks and um, she asked me, can she have the photo? And uh, that maybe later on, you know, I might get to hang out with them, you know, and meet some people uh, because I'm traveling by myself and it'd be cool to hang out with people. And so I was like, oh my God, her name's Natalia. Isn't that interesting that um, this lady says I would meet somebody name, named uh, Natalie and here's Natalia. I was like, that's so close. That's crazy, right? And so after that, um, I think I, I tried to meet up with Natalia like on Facebook and, and correspond that way. And they were supposed to go to a place called like Encore What? And I go back to my hotel, my little bliss villa, and uh, it's party time at night. And so I go down to uh, Encore What to look for and, and them, their group, and I can't find them. I mean, this place is this place is packed, unbelievable. The streets were going crazy. I think at this at the time, you know, that Gangnam style, boom, 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 Gangnam style, like something like, like that was going like nuts and people were just <laughs> going crazy. And uh, I couldn't find her, couldn't find her at all. So while I'm inside, I actually meet someone, guess what, named Natalie, right? What a trip. And um, and so it, it's, I have this great conversation with Natalie and she's taking me to these different, she's living there, takes me to these different bars, meets up with some of her friends. And then we end up like on this rooftop skate park somehow at the end of the night. And like the sun is coming up and it's like such a magical moment. It's like, I'm this random person here in this city by myself, meeting a random American on the other side of the world we totally hit it off, had like this great kindred spirits, like connection. And we're watching people skate on this rooftop as the sun comes up in, in a foreign land. And I'm like, yeah, I feel alive. I feel awake. I feel connected to something bigger. And it's crazy that somebody could say, you're going to meet a Natalie in this country. And then you meet a Natalia, that's close, but it's still your friend to this day. And then you meet a Natalie, who's also your friend to this day, but you actually meet a Natalie. Go figure in a place where I'm pretty sure if you're in Cambodia, there are no natural born citizens named Natalia. Re not really, I don't think. And so, and so I do think there's this bit of serendipity and knowingness in the world, uh, it's crazy. But if you're open to it, I think good stuff happens. I think amazing stuff happens. And so um, 
yeah, traveling has changed me. Uh, as, as I'm telling this, I'm really enjoying telling it. I think I'm going to do a two-part thing, uh, two-part episode. It Let's end this way, because I have something to do after this. Uh, at that point in my travels, when I experienced all those places and new foods and like, pho, oh my God. Like that that soup that they have. I mean, I've had it with duck. I've had it with like meatballs, you know, at steak, you know, like brisket, all that stuff. So amazing. So, I mean, and it was like a dollar fifty a bowl with like, like eel sauce you could put in it, salt, sugar, soy sauce, it did craziness, bean sprouts. Love it to this day. I go all the time to this place down, down the road. But yeah, I... There were so many moments where I had the opportunity to be a beacon of hope or an agent of change for others. I remember landing in Laos, getting picked up uh, with Siri's like cousin or something. And her friend was also in the car and she was very pretty, very, very pretty. So I was trying to hit on her a little bit, but we were talking smiling and laughing. Her English was pretty good. I think she was like a flight attendant. And she says, you know, you're pretty, pretty handsome for a dark-skinned boy. <laughs> and I learned then that, you know, like, lightening your skin was, like, a big thing in that part of their country. And it, it seems to be a trend in, like, part of Asia that, you know, people wearing, you know, coats to cover their skin or umbrellas uh, to keep their skin white. Um, so I've seen a lot of lightning, lightning creams and stuff like that that people have worn to do that. And so, but she was like, I think you're cute even though that's not what we're really into. Like that kind of like maybe challenged her views on some things. And it just showed me some things as well. Um, but there's there's tons of those moments that you can find anywhere, right in your own backyard. But leaving the country multiplies that by like a factor of like, a multiple, like, I don't know, 10, 20, 50, 100. Because every day literally is brand new. You know, someone might walk up to you and say, this is 200 baht. And you're like, oh, okay, well, uh, man, let me let me figure out right quick what that is in dollars. And is that a fair price? And I don't want to hold up people in the line. And, and maybe I just give you this money or you're going down there and it's customary to negotiate when you're in the marketplace and you're not really used to negotiating. You just pay the price you see here in the States, but there you're expected, but there you're expected to barter. And so you negotiate and you learn to do that and, and, and cut the price down as far as you can get it without being unreasonable and offensive because they're also looking at you like, um, you're a rich American, you can afford this. And so you don't want to be a dick about it either. Um, but so many things to navigate, so many roads to develop friendships, lifelong friendships, uh, so many opportunities for you to step out of your comfort zone, to say hello to others, to learn a couple words to make other people feel comfortable to challenge your assumptions about other people or different ways of life 
um, traveling made me love the world more. Even though there are a lot of days living in Atlanta or in the States where I find myself hating people. Oh my God, some days I just wake up and I'm just like, I really don't like people. Uh, <laughs> but I think the more time you spend in the world, around 7.8 billion people on the planet, you learn that you're just more alike than not. Kids on one side of the planet that you're teaching are basically the same as the kids here. They all like to have fun. They all do dumb stuff. That's it, just what a kid is. You know, I don't care where you go. Um, love is love, no matter where you go. It, it just is. It may look a little bit different, but that feeling, that, that connection, that's the same. It's just the same. That human being inside of you who wants to grow, who wants to change, who wants to be everything he or she can be. I'm talking to you that everything I wanted to be, and even still as I'm becoming those things today, still, I gained more confidence. One, because you just see other people doing it all around the world, the same thing. You know, if you want to start a business, guess what? If you go to <clears throat> Kenya, there are people starting businesses in Kenya. There are people starting businesses in Slovenia and Denmark and Peru, so on. If they can do it, you can do it. When you go into spaces where you are un that are unfamiliar or they might make you uncomfortable, I promise you there is a knowingness. There's, there's something in you that pops up to solve problems. I, I, can't, I can't explain it, what it is. You know, I read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, and he would call it the language of the world. And I do, there's a language in the world that once you're out there, there's a way of communicating that really doesn't have much to do with words. It's more about an attitude. It's more about a mindset and an energy and a vibration. And that what you're putting off is just what you're going to get back. And you have to learn how to do that in different places and yet remain the same. And so if, if, if I could leave you with anything before I come back in here and share more stories next week, it's that push yourself. I mean, that's basically it. It's those experiences you have in your mind where you're like, oh, that would be fun. Oh, that would be crazy. Or what if? Learn to just throw yourself into that. You know, because I took a job on the other side of the world and I had to borrow money at one point. I had to do all these things I was terrified to do. I, I ended up being in Tokyo way longer than I thought. And my traveler's checks weren't working. And I had $400 cash. And I was like, okay, we'll just blow through this because I'll exchange this money later. And when I get to my assignment, I'll start getting paid. And I ended up being in Tokyo for like a month and a half, getting my visa sorted. And I was going out like eating Burger King and, and have buying cake and drinking expensive drinks and having yakiniku. And I was down to like nothing by the time I actually got to my assignment. And I went to a place to 
um, buy stuff called the Dio 8 in Ogawara. It's kind of like a Home Depot slash Walmart type of, type of deal. And I was there with my handler, Yuji, and we had put um, a, uh, like a futon in the cart, blankets, different things that you, you just put in your house. And I was embarrassed because I didn't know how to tell him I didn't have any money. We got like almost all the way to the register and I told, I told uh, Yuji, I said, Yuji, I don't have any money. He says, what do you mean? Like on you? I was like, no, no, I, I don't have any money to my name. I don't know how I'm going to eat. And I slept in the darkness for a couple nights. No, no, no air conditioning, no nothing, nothing going on, nothing, nothing. And he threw me a couple dollars to eat. And I thank you for that, Yuji, to this day. Uh, I'm still friends with him. But I had to call the company and ask for to, for them to front me the money, and they said, "Well, we're gonna have to front you the money. But, you know, we don't offer, we don't really do this, but you know, we'll cut you a deal like that, and you got to pay it back in this time." And and I had to go through all that, and that's a long story, but it, it made me ugh. it built up some some toughness. Um, but yeah, being flexible, being resourceful, uh, being creative, constant learning. Uh, all those had to come into one um, in a way that I think when, you, when you're used to living in a place, your senses become dulled because you just go into routine. You assume your old habits. Uh, you take on uh, the normative views of your tribe. And I think you cease living in, in a little bit. And I think with the pandemic where everybody was trapped inside and couldn't do things, I think they felt a little bit of what a human being really is, um, what the spirit of living really is. Um, and you don't really need money for that, but people wanted to get outside. People wanted to connect. And I think that's maybe closer to what it is than, than any piece of paper could say. And so... Guys, this has been Finding Nicholas. I love you all. I thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, rate, comment. Those things are really important in the podcast space. I'd love it if you if you could help me out there. Um, I write articles on success and success principles on Medium. Uh, please find that link in the description. You could also follow me on Instagram. That's also in the description. I have a couple books out on Amazon. Um, I also do uh, one-to-one coaching and group coaching. So please contact me and visit my website. Send me an email, you know, call me on the phone, send me a text, and I will answer and we can get it. We can do it. All right, until next time, ciao, ciao for now. This is Finding Nicholas and I'm out. <laughs>